All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Can you see it? Did you notice? Checked, but the puck comes right to Pedersen, who tries a bank pass for Besser. In with a shot, he scores! A moment's notice. It only You're listening to Canucks Conversation. Quinn Hughes, beat reporter here. Like, I don't, I won't cover the Canucks. Yeah. I cover Quinn Hughes and what he's doing to the Canucks. A member of the Nation Network podcast and delivered by DoorDash. Just wave the guy and get Demko involved. I wanted them in in Valentine's Day. Wow. We should do a radio show together. <laughs> right on. I want to fist bump you right now. What Pearl steals, cutting in, shoots, scores! Don't waste all the good stuff on the off-air, let's go. (laughs) 
Hello, Canucks fans, and welcome back to another episode of the Canucks Conversation, brought to you by the great folks at Zephyr Epic. You can use promo code Hockey Season, capital H, capital S, all one word, Hockey Season. That will get you $5 off your order at Zephyr Epic. Z-E-P-H-Y-R Epic. Find them on all platforms. They've got a lot of group breaks that you can find on Twitch. Go to their website, ZephyrEpic.com. Go check it out. Join a group break. You get all the cards from the team you signed up for. Good bang for your buck at the best of times, so go check it out. ZephyrEpic.com. Z-E-P-H-Y-R. Epic. Follow them on all platforms. Facebook, Twitter, Twitch, as I mentioned, Instagram. They also have a retail location in Surrey. Go check them out. The best part about Zephyr Epic, in our humble opinion, is that they ship free anywhere in Canada on any order over $50 from... From Sydney? Do you guys know where Sydney is? Yes. Where? Australia. No. Sydney, BC. Do you know where that is? Yeah, I'm not wrong, though. True. Except they don't ship to Sydney, Australia. Well, no. they do, but it's not free shipping. All right, you completely ruined this. <laughs> Sydney is a uh, surrounding area of Victoria, just so yes, you guys know. I, I did know I that. I think it might be where the airport or the ferries are. It's one of those two. I think it's this. it might be where the ferries are. No. Well, you're not from the island, so you have no idea. You <laughs> think Sydney's in Australia? Never heard of it. Uh, from Sydney to Sussex, New Brunswick. Sussex is that on your list, Chris? It's on my vacation. list. Uh, Forty-four hundred people there. Oh, you've got you've got notes for us. Okay, the home of the Princess Louise Park Show Center, which hosts the Princess Louise Park Show, which is uh, an exciting <laughs> exhibition. There, can you uh, tell us more about this show? Yeah, they got uh, wildlife, cotton candy, um, ice cream, and uh, more wildlife. Is uh, it a petting zoo? There's there you can pet animals if you want while you're there yeah you don't it's not uh, the whole Princess Louise Park Show Center doesn't turn into a petting zoo it's an exhibition quads okay you you guys are too young for exhibitions you don't even know what those are uh, home it's when the games don't count a former NHLer who had a 17 year career Mike Eagles oh from 1983 to 2000 the year that you two were born because you were very young uh, Sussex is also home. So here, I got a couple restaurants for you. And I know one of them I'm going to for sure. Uh, because, yeah, I'm about to vacation in New Brunswick for the next uh, 10 days. The Taste and See Restaurant. That's an interesting name because it's like, it's not going to be, you're not going to taste it and it's going to be good. You just got to taste and see what it is. That's what it's called. The Taste and See Restaurant. Sushi Joe. I don't know. J-O. Sushi Joe. That's the restaurant. This is the one that I'm going to for sure, though. This third one here. Sully's Ice Cream Parlor. You know it's a good ice cream spot if it's called a parlor. That's that's a very fair way to evaluate ice cream places. And I guess the most important thing about Sussex is this is the home of my girlfriend. So this is why <laughs> we're going back there to visit New Brunswick. This is her home. 4,400 people. And they also call Sussex, this is the nickname of Sussex from what I've heard, Cowtown. Wow. Okay. I think I've told you guys about Cow Patty you have, Bingo. You have told us this. So this, this is funny because you actually know it's her hometown where I threw up Porcupine Plain, couldn't remember why, and then the other day, my girlfriend was wearing a Porcupine Plain hat, which I've decided I'm going to wear in a promo video one day since you talked about Porcupine Plain for a bit. She has six Quilly Willy t-shirts as well. I six found of them? Six of them. Wow. Yeah. Are you done with Sussex, Sussex or oh, do you have easy. anything else? Um, <laughs> No, that's it. I'm excited to uh, to see Sussex and New Brunswick. Never seen New Brunswick before. That'll be fun. I'm we'll talk about our vacations at the end yeah, of the episode. That's, we, that's, yeah. We're already, the, the meter's running right now. We got to, uh, go ahead, hit the intro. We got our man well, here, Harmon Dial. DoorDash. We're also delivered to Damn you by it. the great folks at DoorDash. Ding dong. Use promo code CONVODD. The reason we can pay this guy. <laughs> capital C, capital D's, all one word, CONVODD. That will get you 25% off. 
and free delivery on your first order with the DoorDash app. Does not get much better than that, folks. My name is David Cajoli. I'm joined no, you as know what always. I quick, quickly DoorDash. They like when we, uh, I've heard this from the salespeople. They like when we riff a little bit about it. So let me riff, quads. This is what I got from DoorDash the other day. I ordered just a specialty ice cream cone. It was $2. My girlfriend was getting like an ice cream sandwich from her favorite dessert place. Uh, and I just added just an, uh, an ice cream cone, a white chocolate cotton candy waffle cone. And then I put my own ice cream in it. I just ordered the cone. From where? I don't know. From, Do- from DoorDash. Know? It was on DoorDash. <laughs> she just gave me a menu. and was like, do you want anything? And then oh I got to the end and I was like, not really. And then I saw it was like cones for $2. So if you want it again, what are you going to do? I ask her what her favorite dessert place is. Okay. They got these mega sandwiches. Anyways, DoorDash, hit them up. Uh, working on getting a better promo code. <laughs> Convo DD, use it. Somebody actually replied. And so they tweet. hadn't used it. Yeah. Yep. So they, there is, uh, you hear that DoorDash? There is People an audience out there. There is an audience. Convo DD, first order on the DoorDash app. Capital C, capital D's, all one word. Can, can I go now, Chris? Is that okay? Well, I already introed him in, so. Well, no, you, I, I was getting to that. My name's David Quadrelli. I'm joined, as always, by the man who built the place, Chris Faber. And what's that? I'm hearing that music coming. I'm hearing it. Here comes the money. Here we go. Money talks. Here comes the money. Money, money, money. <laughs> That's right. You know what that music means, folks. Harmon Dial. Harmon Dial, it has been a while. That almost rhymed. How are you? Well, for starters, that was one of the worst intros I've ever heard. Because <laughs> of this guy. But you know what? No, the music's no. always a saving grace. That's I true. I gotta say, like... It was, a, that was one of the most fragmented intros. Oh my gosh. All over yeah, the we've place, been having scattered. a lot of those lately. This guy jumps in, cuts me off. It's like when he's giving a hockey take and I jump in. I'm like, have you considered Tyler Myers? Which, by the way, I, I know you guys said we had to start with Dale Talon. We'll get to that. I want to hear this Myers take because today, Jeez, folks, come on. dear listener, Harmon Dial walked into the studio and said with a straight face, boys. I have a Tyler Myers take. And I said, Harmon, is it a positive or is it a negative one? And Harmon refused to answer. So this is the first time, folks, like you, the dear listener, that Chris Faber and I are hearing this Tyler Myers take for the first time. So Harmon, just go, go ahead. What's your take? Okay, so Drance and I were working on an article that I dropped one down the, on The Athletic about mapping out what a perfect offseason for the Canucks could look like. So we, we really spent a lot of time looking at every part of the roster, looking at the cap situation, looking at the UFA market, looking at the trade market, lo- looking at what would be realistically possible. And we came to the realization that the Canucks are probably better off holding on to Tyler Myers for another year. That's right. Give us Let reasoning. me explain. <laughs> So for starters, let me say, look, if there's a team that's willing to give up, say, a second or third round pick and absorb his full contract, obviously you pull the trigger. That's a no-brainer. But if you have to take back inefficient money or retain salary, I don't think it's worth it because I'm looking at the RD market right now. How are you going to replace Myers' minutes? Yeah, like we we had this question at Canucks Army, not the same take as you, but it was thrown out in an article where you're going to replace Myers. Someone in the comments was like, Noah Juleson can do it. And it's like, no, he can't. Well, be, exactly. And again, if you can get rid of the full contract and you get, say, like a second on pickback, again, then it's worth it. Then you just find a way. Maybe you, you go after like an Ethan Bear type defenseman and just hope and pray that he can yeah. sort of fill the void. But if, if a team is saying, well, we want you to retain or take some inefficient money back, 
and then you have to go out and overpay a Jan Ruder or someone in free agency, then what did you really gain out of that scenario? Especially because when you look at two, two things, first of all, the Canucks aren't going to contend next year. So having Myers on an inefficient contract doesn't really matter. Um, as much as it would have if you were contending for for legitimately for a playoff spot, for a cup, whatever, and every dollar matters. And more importantly, you look at Myers next offseason, he's only going to have a year left, and once the signing bonus is paid out, he's only going to be owed $1 million in real cash. He's going to be a way more significant um, trade chip next offseason than he is now in terms of the value. Now, maybe, again, maybe another team looks at how weak the right-handed defense market is and says, whatever, we'll jump the gun and, and we'll pay. Um, for Myers, again, in that scenario, you you do it if, if they want to take the full money and give you an asset. But otherwise, if, if this is a move where a team's like, okay, we'll give you a mid-round pick and you're going to have to take on, let's say, this bottom six piece who is $2.5 million and he's, and he's overpaid and he's kind of useless, it's not really a great deal because then how who's going to play those minutes? So that's that's kind of the the realization I had. Um, unless you have someone waiting in the wings, like if you think you can nab John Marino, who I know the Canucks are pretty high on, like if Pittsburgh resigns him, then again, you can facilitate and work around that. But the more I think about it, the more Drance and I just sort of thought that Canucks might be better off holding on to Myers for one more year and then looking at next offseason as, uh, uh, as the route for moving on from him then. And we kind of talked about this with Frank uh, on the last show quads where he looked at it and I think you might be, you kind of said the similar take of like, Hey, I wonder what Tyler Myers looks like as just kind of a rental option next year. He's a right D. And if at that point, if you're like holding on to some cap at the trade deadline next year, then you're probably getting a pretty decent return for him. So like, I agree with you. I think that it, it's funny. Cause even the way that we started our question of Frank was like, Hey Frank, what the hell is the value of Tyler Myers right now in the trade market? And he was like, well, you're getting an asset back right now if you were to trade Tyler Myers. And that's that's a, obviously something that the Canucks kind of, like you said, need to keep. He's a guy who eats up a lot of minutes in their top four, plays the right side. We know what the right side's like. But if you look at Tyler Myers at $6 million at two years, you're probably going to see a contract or two, probably more than that. You're gonna, you probably might see like a handful this offseason of like right shot defensemen not signing for more money than Tyler Myers is making at $6 million. But you're going to see some contracts that that are going to end up shaping out to be much worse than if a team wants to just acquire Tyler Myers at two years for six million because you know he can be like a number four. You, like brought, you know that. You brought up Jan Ruta, and I'm curious, like, what do you project that a team's going to pay him this offseason? Because he kind of feels like you just mentioned, Chris. He kind of feels like this summer's Tyler Myers. No, I don't. I think people know, look at him, and, and see that he plays with Victor Hedman, and he's kind of a placeholder. But yeah, I mean, that, that sort of defenseman when the market is so thin, I actually more look at a guy like jo- Josh Manson. I'm like, that guy's going to get paid mm. way too much money. Really good point. He's going to be the next David Savard. Savard signed that contract in Montreal's awful from day one. Yeah. And for me, especially when you think about Myers, hold on to him for this year and maybe you, d- maybe you move him next offseason or retain 50% at the deadline and then look at, Again, to bring up Manson, Manson went for what? He went. He fetched a second-round pick in Drew Hellison. So that's significant value. And so if we're, if we're talking about maximizing My- Myers' value to the organization, 
Might as well hold him for another year, let him play some minutes. Um, especially because you don't have internal options. You don't have an obvious RD prospect. There's nobody in the lineup that you look at as this guy's ready to take on top four minutes. And there isn't an obvious solution on the free agent market. And then you can monetize him down the line for um, a greater return than you would be able to get now. And that Manson trade is a perfect example because Drew Helson, for people who don't know, right D prospect, like he was one of the people that we targeted. Uh, if you were to make a JT Miller deal to the Colorado Avalanche at the deadline, like this was one of the prospects that you wanted to get out of there. He's a big bodied right D defenseman. And yeah, it's, it's, it could happen next year or sorry, not like this coming season, but the year after when there's one year remaining on that deal for Tyler Myers, you hold on to half of that. If you can get any sort of return close to this, like Hellison's a, a high level prospect, maybe not like a grade a plus prospect, but like an a minus B type of prospect. And he's in a position that the Vancouver Canucks really need. And to think that a right D was swapped for him. Like, yeah, I mean, it could really be like a team adding Tyler Myers at the deadline at a $3 million cap hit for a playoff run is very enticing. Like it is like, he's not the guy he's not like a Troy Stetcher going to the LA Kings or, yeah. you know, a Jordy Ben moving around at the deadline. Like this is a legitimate guy who really can sure up your bottom pairing if you're going into the playoffs. And that's a huge ad for any team. So like, I, I can see there being a lot of value at not this coming year, but the year after that trade deadline, you could have some value there. And I think if you want to just eat up minutes this year, Keeping Myers is an option. Like I, I do. I think the long road here to trading Tyler Myers. The only question I guess I would have is like the Canucks would like to be competitive. Not this year coming up. I think they, well they would, but two years from now, you want to talk about the Canucks being a playoff team, and that's kind of the worry at this point where it's like, how much of an impact is Tyler Myers making towards him being a playoff team at six million dollars two years down the road? compared to what you could trade him for now and start to do some flexible things with the available cap. Because I think that that also makes a big difference on how you're shaping out your playoff team that's two to three years down the road. Yeah, I mean, again, if a team wants to pay you a second-round pick now, you do it. For sure. And and that's why I sort of brought that caveat up before going into it. And it's going to be interesting overall. When I look at this team's back-end situation, I just can't get over the fact, and this is a bit of a tangent, but... I, I still can't believe that Quinn Hughes was the only NHL defenseman that the Canucks drafted and developed. Mm. Yeah. Under Jim Benning for how long? How many years? And that's really, really hurting the team today because we're talking about these names like Manson and, and earlier Savard, whether it's on the free agent market or the trade market, for externally sourcing defensemen. And Myers is a great example of what Benning had to do because there was nobody else kind of available. Those are the issues that you run into. You always have to overpay. That's why it's so important for the Canucks. I think one of their top priorities this offseason, and I've kind of mentioned this before, it isn't even necessarily to shore up the blue line now to find immediate NHL help, but their top priority really should be adding young, high upside blue liners that you think could make a significant uh, top four impact down the road in two or three years. Uh, whether it be taking those types of uh, swings at the draft, whether it be you're shopping a top six forward like a Brock Besser or JT Miller or Connor Garland, and you're targeting deep prospects back, like that, that really has to be a priority because it doesn't matter how good your team is up front. If you're not drafting and developing defensemen, you're going to be in, in big, big trouble trying to um, tr- trying to build your team. Unless you're Colorado, who they. 
I don't know how repeatable that is in terms of getting Taves and yeah, model and getting uh, Gerard. But even there, like that's the Duchesne trade accomplished that in the sense of they got Gerard and Byram out of that. So I don't think the Canucks can la- are going to be able to get that type of home run because it involved some luck in terms of Ottawa completely flaming out and the Avs getting a top five pick. But that just underscores, I think, the importance of the Canucks. Whatever top six forward they kind of they they move. They really need to make sure that whatever prospect that they get back, they need to hit on uh, because, again, otherwise defensemen are just, you never want to be paying them uh, on the open market. Yeah, to me, like, if you could take one of, like, the big negatives and literally just, like, flip it like a light switch and turn it into the biggest positive, it would be drafting and developing defensemen. Like, now that we've had a management change for the Vancouver Canucks, I think that, like, a big focus has to be that. We've talked about this all the time on the show of, like, like I, I would not have any problem with the Canucks like spending five of their seven picks this draft on defensemen like absolutely because like it's very weak that is the weakest part of your prospect pool you have some wingers that maybe can give you some excitement uh it's just to me that like you brought it up it's so hard to find defensemen anywhere aside from the draft if you're not going to pay an arm and a leg for it like I think the Canucks need to just take as many swings as possible as defensemen here because that needs to be a priority after what happened under the Jim Benning regime. It was really surprising to see them not take a defenseman in 2019. Like that was the draft that was here and they didn't select one defenseman. That was really surprising because nothing had changed since then, right? Like at that time we were having this same conversation of they really need to add to the prospect pool. I don't know how much of that is because, well, we have Quinn Hughes on the way. We took Jet Wu with our next pick in that draft. We're fine on D. Obviously, Jet Wu's had a few huge speed bumps, which kind of uh, is capitalized by in the playoffs having to play forward. Couldn't crack Abbotsford's uh, defense group. That was the biggest red flag with Jet Wu. But I don't know if that was what went into that decision. But yeah, no defenseman in the 2019 draft. And like you said, Harmon, you're seeing the effects of that now. Although I would say in the 2019 draft, with you look at the uh, you look at the selections, whether it's a Pod Colson or in the second round Hoaglander, I think it was important for the Canucks to take whoever they felt was the best player available. And I, and I think that also applies with their first round pick this year. You don't want to fall in. It's a fine line, right? It's so tough because you want to take the best player available, but you also know how thin you are, especially on D. So it's kind of a fine line to walk. And, and at what point does two prospects' talent level need to be close enough to where you'd prefer the defenseman? That's the sort of question I'm sure the the Canucks are going to have to sort of ask themselves uh, ahead of the draft. But I think internally in the organization, at least for the first-round pick, I think they're looking at it as we have too many needs at too many positions. We just need... We need to hopefully swing for a lead or or top-of-the-lineup talent anywhere we can get it. So I don't think it's going to impact their first-round pick selection too much, but I'd be interested to see how it affects the way that they draft from rounds three to seven because, of course, they don't uh, they don't have a, a pick in round two, which I was looking at it just yesterday. The Canucks were allotted, well, every NHL team in between 2019 and 2021 allotted nine total picks in the first three rounds, right? Three drafts times, uh, times three picks in, in each round, nine picks, Canucks only retained four of those nine picks. Yeah. They only they only had four picks in the first three rounds of the draft in the last three years, and they're already without their second this coming year. So I think you also they've been operating at such an extreme draft pick deficit that man, this team just needs future assets. And I think that's a, a big part of the 
of the rationale and logic behind why they're looking at shopping some of their top six forwards as well is because I think they look at not only is that going to free up cap space, but we get the we get to mine future assets, and then we can and then if we want, we can use some of that cap space to not necessarily go after high end top six free agents, but we can still use that money to upgrade our roster and help uh, mitigate the loss. So, man, it it's a it's a really tough sort of task that Rutherford and, and Alvin have. And I'm going to be really interested to see how they approach all of this in the offseason. Well, it's true. And just like seeing the Canucks, like you need to, as good as you are at drafting, there's a big difference between like getting a guy in the second round that you're very high on and getting a guy in the fifth round that you're very high on. Yeah. Because you're getting a guy in the second round that you're very high on. Like if you're really high on Niels Huglander in the second round when they drafted him, they're thinking he's a top 15, 20 player. Yeah. You're like, wow, right on. If you're drafting in the fifth round, you're like, wow, this is like our, our 50th guy on the board, right? Yeah. Instead of 10 this, to 15. That's this why you, is our Ethan Keppin. Yeah, and, and every team has it in the second and third rounds where they're like, wow, like we had this guy projected as our 35th guy, and we got him in the third round. Yeah. That's what the Canucks need to start getting. They need to start getting guys that are in the top 40 of their boards instead of guys that just make the top 75. Like there's a huge difference between those two and how they're evaluated from teams looking at the draft. You can do well. Like, listen, I, I like a lot of the Canucks, what they've done in the late rounds. Like Aiden McDonough, we're going to see him at prospect devel- at development camp here. Even like Lucas Forsell's exciting. Archer Seelove's quads. You're smiling over there. Like these examples are great. But it would be awesome to see how much better they can do with these first, second, and third round picks. And you're you're right, like you. That's why it's going to be so interesting with the option to trade down. And like I've seen some players for the Canucks, and we'll get to it later in the episode. No prospects report about uh, Canucks prospects, but I've been you know crushing draft content, so I'll talk about a few prospects because uh, going on break for a week here. So I want to spend well, a little bit of time at the end of the episode. But it, it's true, like you need to have that high end talent. You need to be drafting guys like. You should come out of every draft as an NHL team, especially the spot where the Canucks are at. You should come out of the NHL draft every year. If you're a team that missed the playoffs, you should come out with two players that you believe are first round picks on your board. You have to come out of the draft yeah. with that. And the Canucks haven't done that in the last three. Well, three years ago they did because they had Hugliner and Pod Coles and both obviously ranked in their first round. They didn't do that at all in 2020 and 2021. They didn't do it either. So you need to come out of the draft with what you believe are two first round picks. If you're in the spot that Canucks have been in. We'll get to the big news in a second, but you spoke with Patrick Alvin today on the press conference that he had and mentioned something about development camp, so I'll let you get to that. Yeah, I found it kind of interesting because I was thinking, like, is Mikey DiPietro going to be a development camp? Is Jet Wu going to be a development camp? Are these type of players going to be there? And Alvin said it's going to be some of the first-year pros. So, like, I guess we can expect Archer Silas to be there. Danila Klimovic, I know uh, from speaking to the agent, is going to be there as well, so we know that. Um but I'm just trying to think, like, I, I guess Tristan Nielsen will be there. Uh, Chase Waters, potentially, if he's going to be re-signed. And then, like, it's not going to be, like, Jack Rathman won't be there by the sounds of the way that Patrick Alvin said. So this is going to be really about, like, young prospects and development players. Probably going to see a lot of guys from around the WHL. And I hope that a couple guys show up and, like, play really well and earn a contract out there in Abbotsford. Like, some of the guys that are overagers out of the WHL, you expect to see a lot. I, I expect to see a... Uh, like three guys from the Vancouver Giants who are still unsigned to probably be at this development yeah. camp. Like, um, it'll, it'll be interesting. Like, Alex Cotton's an interesting one. The guy who just got let go by the, um, I think, Detroit Red Wings didn't end up signing him. He was one of their prospects from, like, a fifth-round pick. It's a right-shot D, six foot four, played in Vancouver, was excellent in the playoffs. Like, bring this guy to camp. Let's see what he can do. Yeah. Maybe he's worth a shot. Maybe he's worth a contract to go and play in your AHL team. So, I think they're going to have to fill development camp with a lot of these guys from the local area, whether they're, 
you know, going back to the WHL for next season or if they're overagers that are looking for a job. And don't forget the BCHL either, right? Because this is something we've talked about endlessly, how good the Boston Bruins, how good the New York Rangers are about getting these guys out to development camp when they're not signed with the organization. But then when it comes to decision time, they're looking at those two organizations. So this is something that the Canucks definitely want to improve on. All right, we're going to take a quick break. On the you other side... Sun. Before we go to break, you got some sun. I got to bring that up. I did. You went uh, golfing this morning, right? Yes, I did. It was I can a, see it. It's a fresh tan. Yeah, it was a good time. Yeah. Yeah. Looks good. You don't get a lot of sun. You're only white like a ghost. Mm. Thank you. I tan. Really, I burn and then I tan. Mm. But today it was just tan. I wore some sunscreen. Okay. But this was a burn before. You didn't put we, on any of that uh, that lotion that helps you tan? The uh, no. Tanning, no. Tanning oil? When no. we went to You look Ricky, a little greasy. You look like you put on some tanning oil. No, it's sunscreen. When we went mm. to Ricky Tiedemann's start at Nat Billy Stadium a week ago... I got burned there. That's what. That's why I'm dark. Yeah, this here. is yeah. This is a burn turned into a tent. By the way, after right after that start, within 48 hours, I had bought uh, 10 Ricky Tiedemann rookie cards. I got two coming for you, Quads. Hopefully, they uh, they progress better than all the crypto investments. All the well, Nikita, I'm still doing all right. The Nikita Triampkin investment. The yeah. Olio Levy investments. <laughs> you look at where my money's gone on investments <laughs> over the past like to the moon, baby. <laughs> Basically, the last 24 months is when I was like, you know, I'm going to start to uh, invest a little bit. <laughs> Low-key, you know, put a little money in crypto, dabble a little bit in there. That's gone to hell. Uh, put all the money into the Olio Levy rookie cards. That's gone to hell. The Nikita Triumph, and that was how this all started. That went to even worse. But, uh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm, that's why I'm investing in Ricky Tiedemann. So, <laughs> this is my guy. I like that. Yeah. I like it. All right, we'll take a quick quick break excuse me on the other side we will talk about the news of the day somehow we've gotten to the 28 minute mark haven't even talked about the hiring of dale talon and a couple other guys so we'll talk about that in a second on the other side it'll be our atlas goods poll question keep it locked keep it loaded on canucks conversation hiring for your small business if you're not looking for professionals on linkedin you're looking in the wrong place that's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. All right, we are back, and it's time for our Atlas Goods poll question. Our episode 274 poll question brought to you by Atlas Goods. Go to atlasgds.com. 
Use promo code CC15 to get 15% off your first order of pop rinds. These are the best fresh pork rinds. They come straight out of your microwave or air fryer. It is the weekly check-in. Chris, have you made the nachos yet? Uh, nope. Going on vacation. I'll have them in a month. All right. Sounds good. Uh, and, and before we get to the poll question, I just wanted to add, we're both going on vacation. We've talked about this. We recorded an episode in advance with Chris Peters uh, of Daily Faceoff. Big prospect episode. That'll be dropping on Wednesday June 29th, we'll both be away, but we pre-recorded it. Uh, we made some jokes about there how this is Chris and Qua- uh, Faber and Quads of Christmas past coming to you. So you can look forward to that episode. But Chris, 17-day vacation. You were just talking about you have to pack for that. Yeah. One of the city. I got to bring this up real quick before we keep going. Sure. Well, a couple couple episodes ago, we talked about Balzac. Okay. We have a lot of listeners around Balzac. I have gotten yeah, we got a lot of the, questions. Okay. Hold yeah. on. What are we talking about here? You know, the city's thing off the top of the show. Yeah. So yeah. We did. Uh, I forget what the first city was. Something to Balzac. To Balzac. Something to Balzac. <laughs> and I, how is it spelled? I, we were thinking that it was, doesn't matter. Uh, <laughs> we were thinking that it was the closest Costco to Calgary and that's all I had it, or to Saddledome. And it's not, but P, this is what I've heard. Balzac. Yeah, there's not a lot of people. There's a couple nice towns. There's a Costco. They say the Costco's big, but it's mostly cows. Huh. Balzac is full of cows. How's it so, spelled? B-A-L-Z-A-C. Balzac. It's pronounced Balzac. We, we checked. And please keep the DMs coming when people, they, they remind <laughs> me of these uh, people that know of a good, the good city, city name. The city names. The yeah. city names. I love getting the DMs from people about that. So please, yeah, shoot me a DM. Uh, but multiple <laughs> DMs to my personal account as well as the Canucks Conversation account. I appreciate the people reaching out to uh, tell us about uh, Ballsack and the facts around uh, the town. Just want to get that in. Appreciate it. You press that. out the yes. Yeah, make yeah. sure you pronounce that with the Z there. Ballsack. 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 Yeah. That's what I've been saying. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, just send Chris all your future Ballsacks. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> on to the uh, poll question. Yeah, here. our poll question. You can get to it you. delivered to Balzac. Uh, yeah, Atlas Goods. Yeah, yep. Locally owned company out of Surrey, BC. AtlasGDS.com. CC15 is our promo code. Fifteen percent off your first order of pop rinds. Like I said, folks, best fresh pork rind straight out of your microwave or air fryer. Our poll question today: What are your thoughts on the hiring of Dale Talon? So far, the answers are forty percent of people saying they don't like it. 32% using the I'm angry option and 28% of people saying I like it. If you haven't heard already, folks, the Vancouver Canucks have hired Dale Talon in a senior advisor role and a scouting role. Alvin, in his press conference that he had on Friday, spoke further about it and said that Dale Talon would be involved with pro scouting. This is interesting because I think any positive reception there is around Dale Talon, it's about his ability to draft, right? People kind of give him credit for Marion Hosa, Jonathan Taves, Patrick Kane. I know those are all high picks, but... He, get, they get, he gets credit for those guys a lot. Uh, you look at his work in Florida, a lot of people credit him with Ekblad, Huberto. Uh, you could kind of go on there with what the work in Florida was done um, with Dale Talon as the general manager. So people, if they give him any credit, it's similar to Jim Benning where they say, oh, well, he's good oh, at scouting good. or he's good at drafting. But Dale Talon in the pro scouting department as of now, that is what Patrick Alvin told us. Hiring, does it surprise you guys at all? Like, uh, uh, Sorry, before I get to that, also, uh, Ryan Johnson has been promoted to assistant to the general manager, uh, will keep his duties as Abbotsford Canucks general manager. Scott Young and Frank Golden of the Pittsburgh Penguins have both been hired by the Canucks as well. Four announcements today for the Vancouver Canucks. The main one we're focusing on our poll question, 
Dale Talon. Well, you missed uh, Dylan Crawford as well. Yeah, that must have missed in the Canucks Army article. I was just reading our wow. article. Tough. That's the guy I have all the information on. I got all the stuff about Dylan Crawford. Okay, anyways. Dill Talon, let's start there. We okay. can get to uh, Mark Crawford soon. Somebody's getting fired. Mark Bods, Crawford. Bods is mad. Um, yeah, I mean. Oh, no, it's mentioned in the article. I just missed it. Okay, Shout good. out Mike Gould. You just called him Mark Crawford. I know, dude. I was joking. Oh, I, well, it was, it was a bad joke. I'm stupid. I'm a little surprised by the Dale Talon signing or addition to be 100% honest. I just think that the Canucks have gone a very... Um, progressive way of hiring and yeah Dale Talon's had some some hits in his career but um I just think that the way that they've built this front office feels like it's been a very new age way of thinking at talent evaluation and I'm not sure exactly how Dale Talon fits in here I'm sure he's got some knowledge around the NHL but I guess it's to me it's I guess how they're going to use him just uh, to play devil's advocate a little bit sure because you know, I'm not going to sit here and say, well, Dale Talon's a great addition. We don't know. Like, we don't really know. But what I do want to say is part of that being progressive, and like you said, there, there's all the great hirings that they've made. Part of the goal that they've stated with Rutherford and Alvin is collaboration and a lot of different voices. And I know they've gone heavy on the analytics, but if you want collaboration, you want a lot of different voices, do you not want at least a few old school, quote unquote, voices in your room a, a few proven voices in your war room do you not want that because i think if you want collaboration and you want diversity it goes both ways yeah i think for starters with i, I see your point yeah i and i know it sounds like i was just like well diversity means hiring white guys here goes quads again with the old boys club. <laughs> not what i meant but you under, you understand what yeah I mean. no i get what you mean i'm kind of ambivalent to the hiring honestly because it's a senior advisor role like i it's not a high exec position. He's. Not, yeah. I don't see him, honestly, having a ton of real influence on... It's just another voice, right? Yeah, and I mean, so for that reason, I don't really mind. Now, of course, Dale Town was basically the Jim Benning of the Florida Panthers, where it's like, yeah, he drafted some guys, but look at... Look at what Florida sort of became as soon as he as soon as he was canned, um, and the steps that they took thereafter. So, I mean. Again, I, I just kind of shrug my shoulders and say it's a senior advisor position. I don't see him having a ton of influence. And the organization also, and I know this is, is a fact, I checked in on this behind the scenes, they did a lot of due diligence in terms of the, the character check. And um, there are obviously the allegations of uh, ethnic and, and racist remarks. And uh, he was strongly cleared in that uh, in that investigation and the Canucks um, went through an exhaustive process from why, what I understand on their own in doing background checks related to that uh, and sort of made sure that everybody in the front office was was comfortable with, uh, That's good to hear. with the hiring. So they this wasn't something that they just on a whim did. There was a lot of thought, thought uh, put into it. So... Yeah, I mean, again, I don't love Dale Talon's track record as a GM, but he's not coming here to be a GM or an assistant GM or a president of hockey ops. So, someone DM me and said Dale Talon's position sounds like what Jim Benning should have been hired to do. <laughs> yeah, that's not a. It's not a take. horrible take. Like I, I, I thought about it. and I was like, interesting. No, and then, you know, maybe Dale Talon has like a connection that helps you. In your organization yeah. somehow, like that's certain a, that's things a great like point. that, I think that might be a positive way to look at it. Um, but yeah, I'm not uh, I'm not handing over the 
scouting department or, you know, <laughs> pros, like which free agent you want to target. Especially, yeah, especially the pro scouting department. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and the steps you've taken there, like Cami Granado is in charge of that department now. She's basically yeah. doing what John Weisbrot did. Like you can kind of line up all of the hiring. I don't know. John Weisbrot sure did a lot, quads. <laughs> John Weisbrot wore a lot of hats. Wore a lot of hats. Sometimes uh, two on accident. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That was one of the few times we've had to cut because we couldn't stop laughing. But that was one of the times that we couldn't stop laughing. Okay, so my point is you can kind of see where all the hiring is. Like, obviously, Emily Castonguay uh, has the, lo- the law background, the player agent background, doing a lot of contract work. Sounds a lot like what Chris Gear used to do for the club. And I, this isn't to diminish Chris Gear or what Emily are doing because I know both of them wear a lot of hats behind the scenes that we just don't hear about. Uh, but again, John Weisbrod was kind of in charge of pro and amateurs scouting uh that's what cammy granado is doing now for the organization as well and when i say in charge i don't mean she's the director director reports to her any other names you guys want to get into here well you wanted to get into mark crawford's son dylan well that's the thing he's not just mark crawford's son quads he's is been, he really his son he is his son yes i was joking is no he, you're, you're messing with no me. he is his son but he's been doing a good job of like working that's, his way up into the the video, so the video uh, coach. What are you? What are you trying to? Well, say? I'm just saying that's so funny that I made that up as a bad joke, and it's true. No, it's literally true. Yeah, Dylan Crawford. Also, the fact that I was golfing this morning and didn't know that. I'm okay. sure that's in every press release. But go on. Well, not the Canucks Army one, apparently. Yeah, um, not. So yeah, he's been a an AHL video coach for two years before going to the Blackhawks for four years. Uh, BC kid, apparently through and through. He's got a tattoo of the border of British Columbia. Apparently, this is what I've heard from a Canucks source inside the team has told me this uh and he's yeah from everything that i've heard from the source and the organization they're very happy that they're able to add this player or sorry add this coach and he's gonna be a video coach with the vancouver canucks um and yeah just a lot of uh, positive things i heard about dylan crawford come to the organization who they already have like they've already they were very impressed with ian beckenstein down in the ahl so it'll be interesting to see how the video crew kind of comes together here um i'm not sure like ryan beach i think does more of the video scouting more than I think the pro stuff. But, I mean, it's, it's kind of cool that they're investing this much and bringing in more people to add to the video crew. I mean, it's 2022, man. Like, you want to have that be one of the strengths of your organization. Uh, and bringing in a guy who has experience in the NHL, in the AHL. He's been doing it for, I think this will be his seventh year now as a video coach in professional hockey. Uh, nice little addition to the team. And, and, yeah, just from what I heard, it sounds like Dylan Crawford's been making a, a pretty good name for himself uh, early in his career. Um, and obviously probably learned a lot from his dad, who is Mark Crawford, by the way, quads, just so you know. So, you know, probably has some, uh, some decent connections in his own right. I want to throw something out there and I'm not, I haven't spoken to anybody about this. This isn't coming from the Canucks goaltending department. It's not coming from any conversations I've had, but I do want to mention that Seattle Kraken are looking for a goalie coach. And I have been told by people not with the Canucks that, Curtis Sanford is a name to watch. I just want to throw that out there that Curtis Sanford has done a really good job in Abbotsford. Uh, Again, like Ian Clark's protege, Ian Clark's obviously off the market, but Curtis Sanford is definitely a name to watch for an NHL vacancy. Uh, He is well-regarded around the league. People have taken notice to what he's done and give the Canucks credit because this was the first year that they had a full-time goaltending coach out in Abbotsford and he quickly got noticed and, Look, like, Curtis Sanford's a smart dude. Curtis Sanford was the one that evidently discovered Spencer Martin, right? Like, he watched Spencer Martin play, and, you know, he was the one that said the name to RJ a lot and said, hey, this Syracuse goaltender 
he could be something, and the Canucks are able to get him for a seventh-round pick, and now they have an NHL backup, we, we think. But my point is, Curtis Sanford is definitely a name to watch because he's just well-regarded around the league, and I'm throwing that out there just because I've been told that he is a name to watch. Uh, he is well-regarded around the league. Scott Young as well added there, and that was the addition that I was sort of, I think, most uh, excited about from a Canucks perspective because... Played a big hand in player development in Pittsburgh as a director. Mm -hmm. And you obviously look at the track record that the Penguins have had developing talent despite not having a lot of high draft picks. The the work that they were able to do um, that really helped solidify some of the the depth for those Penguins teams. Uh, especially in those uh, Rutherford years and, and later on, I think... Um, I think that's that's an exciting ad because Wilkes-Barre for a long time has, has supplemented a lot of talent through Pittsburgh. A lot of non-first-round picks, a lot of players who... I mean, we, we always used to joke that Pittsburgh would uh, would always produce the, the... You guys know the Mark Donk jokes, right? I don't think so. Oh, no. it's, it's a big hockey Twitter joke where you'll look at... Um, Pittsburgh midseason and they'll have a bunch of injuries and, and there will be some EA NHL EA gener generated sounding guy like a Mark <laughs> Donk who's playing with Crosby or Malkin and, and somehow has 40 points in the year. Um, that's the joke based off uh, Pittsburgh always unearthing some random guys that end up becoming uh, middle six uh, pieces, obviously like the Connor Sheary types over the years and uh, so, I mean, if you're adding the player development guy responsible for a lot of that, I, I think that's that's great for the Canucks because we know that they've struggled a lot with uh, mostly Utica where they weren't graduating nearly enough talent to the, to the uh, roster and even a lot of the prospects that the Canucks did draft. Canucks didn't have to develop them because most of the times they came straight from Europe or straight from the NCAA. Yeah. They didn't spend a lot of time in the minor, minors and the Canucks have spent, uh, have spent a lot of time um, recently overhauling the player development process, obviously with the Sedins, um, now it being announced, what was it, like a month ago that they're going to have a, a heavier school. hand yeah. um, in player development and adding Mikhail Samuelson. And so I think they really recognize that player development needs to be overhauled. And so I like the uh, young addition. I think he'll be a helpful voice. And I guess just kind of building off of that too, with Ryan Johnson now being promoted to assistant to the general manager. This is the only... Have these people never watched The Office? This is the only, <laughs> like, they, this wording wasn't used for the other assistant general managers. Is this like a different role? Am I am I just off or are they playing a joke on us? Okay, here? you know what? I will say, Patrick Alvin was specifically asked about this and he laughed because the way Carol... Shout out Carol Schramm. Carol Schramm asked the question and she kind of laughed when she said to the general manager. She's like, I don't know what the difference between assistant general manager and assistant to the general manager is. And Alvin kind of said, like, I have a lot of respect for Ryan Johnson and kind of went into his role a bit and, you know, said he'll still be having a huge hand in uh, Abbotsford, but we want him to kind of focus on that and player development and, you know, moving the player development duties and just adding more people into the organization for good, that. You know, I think it's a good, like you mentioned, Harm, good addition with Scott Young coming in to work with Ryan Johnson. So, yeah, just adding more development team that that uh, an organization that really needs it. Like, yeah, said, like that's the thing is it I was can't just hurt. Exactly, I was just gonna say that is like how long have we talked about how you know not bad but how inefficient the development staff has been. Like in terms of products and on ice results, it just hasn't been there. So clearly, the organization when Rutherford and Alvin come here and look at it, they kind of look at it and say, okay, well we have. Too many people doing too many jobs. We need more people in the organization. And 
that's clearly what they've done here. Yeah. Like it. Okay. Wrap it up. Staff talk. Well, I, okay. Well, the staff talk will wrap up. Guys, interesting little tidbit from Rick Dollywall today. Oh, I thought you were going to say, do you know Dylan Crawford is Mark Crawford's <laughs> son? <laughs> No, not not anymore. I'm not gonna not gonna say that. Even though I said that as a joke, which it's is not kind a of, bit. I should have cut that maybe. But I you missed know, the sun part. I legitimately thought you were you accidentally said Mark Crawford, and I, and, I, no. and I didn't get the joke at all. At first, I was joking that they rehired my, Mark Crawford. It was a bad joke, evidently. Yep. Now, <laughs> I'm not gonna. Lie. I felt like I felt like an idiot for the last ten minutes for not <laughs> catching on. <laughs> well, then then Dylan Crawford. I said Mark Crawford's son, and Faber goes, "Well, he's not just Mark Crawford's son." And then that's when I realized that he's actually Mark Crawford's son. I, I was joking. I was, I I was completely joking. I didn't know he was actually Good BC a son. kid. Yeah, evidently. Okay. Uh, okay, JT Miller, really interesting tidbit from Rick Dollywall today. Uh, you've heard the reports, and one thing about this is there hasn't been any public reports about JT Miller being on the trade market. And obviously, it's kind of assumed, but it hasn't been said by any insiders for the past month or so, or whatever it was, how it was so quiet about negotiations, and it was so quiet about how those are going, and if he's available on the trade market, and now... We've been hearing more and more reports about JT Miller being brought up again in trade talks. Uh, and, and Rick Dollywall today was speaking about it and, and said that JT Miller's agent, JT Miller's camp, not surprised that JT Miller is in trade talks and there's there's trade rumors about him. Now, I don't know how much you want to read into that. The way I kind of look at that is they say kind of the same thing we've heard from Jim Rutherford where we say we know where his camp will be. His camp is probably saying, we know where the Canucks are, and it's not close, so we are not surprised about seeing him in trade talks. I don't want to read into it too much. That's kind of putting words in an agent's mouth, but that's kind of what I take from that, is they're not surprised because the negotiations aren't looking like it'll be resulting in a re-signing, which I don't think surprises any of us. Yeah, I've felt since, honestly, March. Honestly, since March, I sort of, there was a lot of smoke around Miller's name then, and I don't think the trade packages were up to snuff. But I've just felt since then that Miller's probably more likely to be moved than he than he is resigned. And not because the Canucks don't like the player. It's just when you look at the sort of year that he had and the type types of dollars and terms it would take to resign him, I just can't see this management group wanting to give a Mika Zibinijad type contract, committing that sort of money to Miller. So this honestly does not surprise me one bit. And for for Miller from Miller's camp, I've just I've also never sorry, I shouldn't say this is from Miller's camp. Just kind of knowing him as a person and kind of knowing some of the people around him, I've just never gotten the impression that he's like a Bo Horvat type where there are very few people like Bo Horvat that are going to be willing to take a hometown discount. Most players, most players in Miller's shoes would would just want to get the bag. And if JT Miller wants to get the bag, if he wants to squeeze out every dollar, I would be shocked if if that happened with the Canucks. So. Do we like? I feel like around that time was like, do you guys remember when JT Miller's agent like quote tweeted with like the money bags yeah. emojis? Like, yeah, you know they, the they're trying extension. to get JT Miller paid that he deserves. He's coming off he of a ninety nine point season. It's just it. Yeah, we talked about it so much. It just it doesn't make a lot of sense for the Canucks to go long term and such a high AAV on Miller's deal, but it it could easily make sense for another team around the NHL and to want to pay Miller that much money yeah. if they think that's the type of player they're getting. So two things that I've found interesting, if the Canucks do sort of proceed with um, 
with the idea of um, of, of moving him, I, I sort of uh, noted some of this down. There are, I'm going to be interested to see how many other top forwards at the market. So, because obviously it's always supply and demand when it comes to the sort of return you're going to be able to garner. And if you look around the league, Kevin Fiala, I know for a fact he's getting moved. Right. I sort of did a piece with uh, Michael Russo kind of investigating that situation. 100%, I'd bet the house on it. He's getting moved. It's it's practically a done deal. But there are other situations like you look at Chicago. Chicago has made it pretty clear um, if you read a lot of the media around there. They're, they're gonna they want to tank hard, and obviously, you then wonder what are they gonna do with Alex Debrinket? Um, even what if they retained and, and thought about Patrick Kane, right? Because they're really worried about they want to be bad enough to actually get a top pick. Um, you think about all the names out in Winnipeg, right? Uh, Blake Wheeler just recently hitting uh, Frank Saravalli's list. There's there's also been a lot of speculation about Mark Scheifele and Pierre Luc Dubois. Um, I mean, even in Boston. Pasternak is a year away from unrestricted free agency. The Bruins, he's kind of like their JT Miller in a sense of they want to keep him, but if Pasternak doesn't want to resign, they ha- they have no choice but to monetize that asset. They can't lose him for for nothing. So the point is, I'm going to going to be interested to see out of all those names how many of them actually hit the market. All of them, of course, won't. We're not going to have all of them go, but. If you're the Canucks, you're hoping that fewer and fewer uh, of them well, you actually just become available. Like for elite names, yeah, right? like those guys are all gonna fetch JT Miller like. And you look at Calgary too; they have obviously Goudreau and Chuck, but they also have uh, Andrew Mangiapane as a, as an RFA as well. They're they're only, they can only keep two of those guys. They can't afford all three. So there are, there are a lot of top forwards that I think could become available this off season. And so it's going to be interesting to see how the market shapes up for Miller. Now, obviously, the type of year that he had in Miller being a center, I think that's a feather um, up Vancouver's cap. The fact that he can play the middle, especially for teams that are looking specifically for centers. Um, the other thing I will say is if, if the Canucks want to maximize their return, again, assuming we're talking about a hypothetical situation where they can't agree to an extension and they say, all right, there's no future here, we're going to move on. They're, I think, going to hopefully come to a point where a team looks at Miller not as a one-year rental, mm. but as like a we we want to sign him right away sort of situation to maximize the return. Because um, I look at, for example, when Vegas acquired Max Pacioretty, um, he was in a similar situation, um, year away from uh, unrestricted free agency, I believe, and... Vegas gave up, obviously, Nick Suzuki in that trade. The reason they gave so much up was because they knew they could sign him to an extension. And they they were they already made that trade knowing that he's a long-term fit as opposed to, a, let's say, like what uh, what some teams do where they acquire a guy with a year left and say, let's see how it goes. And they, and they treat it almost like a one-year rental. And then if it works out, then we'll resign him. If you're the Canucks, you're hoping that there's a team out there that looks at Miller and says, we don't want him just for next season. We want him for the next, for the better part of the next decade. And we're, and we're ready to, ready to sort of make that type of package. And obviously in that sort of scenario, teams will grant permission to, for, for the, for the team that's interested to speak to the agent, get a sense of price and everything. But that's one thing that I'm also going to be curious to see is not only as the market unfolds for Miller, 
how much interest is there going to be, but how many teams genuinely look at Miller as a long-term solution? I want to pose this question to both of you because we're talking a lot about you know trading him, but the Canucks have said we want to get a deal worked out. What is the maximum term and the maximum dollar value per year that the Canucks can sign Miller to in your eyes? And what do you think he's actually going to get on the open market? Because, Harmon, you just brought it up, a team trading and signing for him. What is that team signing Miller for compared to what the Canucks, you assume the Canucks ceiling is? Well, if Miller hits the open market, and I earlier this month did a piece sort of trying to project Miller's contract and polled a bunch of agents around the league, and most of them were pretty confident that he, he should be able to fetch over $8 million on an eight-year deal. Mm. And obviously, Zabinijad is a comp for that. But even uh, Tomas Hurdle, that one really hurts for the Canucks because here's a guy yeah. in Hurdle who never has never hit point per game status. He's probably closer to Bo Horvat level than he is JT Miller as a as a player in terms of what Miller's accomplished recently. Mm-hmm. And he gets over eight over eight million dollars on an eight year deal. So Miller's going to get the bag if he if he hits the open market now. It's tough, it's tough if you ask me, like, what what is the Canucks' walkaway point? And I don't know, frankly. For me, I don't want to throw a specific number out there because I'd really have to think. But my initial, just off the top reaction would kind of be, I mean, for starters, I don't want that cap hit to start with an eight. Yeah. And I wouldn't want to go longer than five. I was thinking six is the max because six it, it years, comes yeah. down to that. You're talking six years. Yes. Okay. It co- yes. Well, I wouldn't want it over six million. <laughs> <laughs> it comes down to that conversation of, okay, we're going to sign you to this cap hit and maybe you're going to give us that value for the first three years and that's our competitive window. But in the final two years, you might not be as good. That's kind of a risk you take when you're a contending team. In my eyes, Canucks aren't that team, but... Maybe by the third or second or third year of Miller's contract, maybe they are in that window where they're saying, okay, we want to go for it and we want a player like Miller. That moves up your competitive window if you're signing Miller to that contract. It's also risky because what if that window isn't forced open the way you want it to be? That's the thing. I can't see. And again, I keep having to reiterate this again and again. I love JT Miller as a player. This isn't about him as a player. It's about where the team's at in their building process. That's what it always comes down to. I, I just can't see... If you're keeping Miller, okay, well, actually, actually, let, let me let me take a step back here. I don't think this is going to happen. I just don't get the sense that the Canucks have ever really seriously considered moving Horvat. I wouldn't be opposed to going actually even six years on Miller if um, if you then move Horvat. Mm. You can't keep both, though, is, is my thing. Um, I, I think that's kind of what we've heard, right, is the Canucks can't keep both. They have to. They're gonna. They're not going to go into camp with neither of these guys extended is the vibe that we're getting, is one of these guys is going to be extended if not one of them is going to be traded. You're not going to go into camp with both of them on expiring deals. That's just not going to happen. Turns out Sakaris was right all along. <laughs> Boy. <laughs> no, I think, yeah, I think looking at the deal, I I have to expect that, Kind of what you said earlier. I'm like, when you're looking at potentially trading, you know, a sign and trade situation with JT Miller, this is where the agent's probably pushing for that as well, where the agent would like to start to have conversations yeah. with teams. Um, it might not be something that I don't like. It's not going to go out publicly. Like, it, was it Pierre-Luc Dubois? That was one that just came out publicly yeah. where other yes. teams can have yeah. conversations. Same with Ethan Bear. Like, I don't think Jim Rutherford and Patrick Alvin are letting that happen. I don't think that's oh, getting no. out to Friedman. But I do think that if it's part of packages that, like, make sense to the Canucks, 
they're probably letting the agent have a conversation with this team to say like, hey, well, what does it look like? Because what's the future? It, it's not just for JT Miller and, and his agent, his situation moving forward. It's not like he has any say. He can't block a trade, right? JT Miller can't do that. He's got no protection, but they can like, like, I don't know. It's interesting because like the Canucks want, like you said, the Canucks want the team they're trading him to, to be re-signing him because then they would value him more. So it's, it, it's beneficial for the Canucks. It's beneficial for Miller. It's beneficial for the, like, if you can find a team that makes sense, it helps everyone. It helps the value of what you're getting in return. It helps JT Miller know that he's got certainty long-term. It just, it makes sense for the Canucks to let their, you know, let other teams talk about an extension for him for sure, because that would really help you. If you know which teams are willing to give an extension right now at a deal that they're going to take, then you really can push to start to get an actual offer on the table that makes sense and kind of put up, be like, okay, well, Hey, you know, Nashville wants him at this much. And there, this is the offer then you can start to you know push teams against each other that are both going to be teams that can extend JT Miller. Yeah, I think no matter what happens, I think the goal right now for the Canucks is to create a bidding war, in essence, at the draft, right? And it's going to be really interesting because, guys, like we don't talk about what's going on around the league and in the Cup Final, but like Colorado could end the Stanley Cup Final tonight. And, again, I'm recording this on Friday, but this could end, and once it ends... It's open season. Like, you're going to start seeing trades flow through. That's when the offseason really starts. I know there was the Dadunov trade, and you're starting to see some hirings uh, around the league and all that sort of stuff. So, offseason starting for some teams, but it really starts when the season ends. Yeah, when you get everyone in person in Montreal and you can actually, like, hash things out, it's it's going to really Draft crank week. up. Like, that whole yeah. week. That's why I'm getting there on the Monday. I want to yeah. get in there. Not like I'm going to be in the rooms with GMs or anything, but I'm going to be touring uh, Montreal the first couple of days, checking yeah. it out. But, I, but I'm ready for, for deals to break, man. Oh, yeah. Go back I know. Okay. Like it, I, I'm excited for actual news to talk oh, about yeah. as opposed to... Especially the JT Miller one. I like know. How long have we spent? I kind of felt bad Miller. about having to, uh, about bringing it up and really diving into the discussion <laughs> again. But I, I just found it interesting that like looking at the other forwards... Uh, but there was part of me where I'm like, damn, am I... I how many months have we gone on talking yeah, about exactly. this? Yeah, exactly. And I'm like, I know there's going to be someone saying, oh, what? The insiders haven't talked about JT Miller for three weeks in his news because they started to again? Well, it's good because we haven't talked to any Kuzmenko. I see all the comments on the Canucks Army articles right now. It's just like, oh, here's our daily Kuzmenko article. I told everybody, I said, it's Kuzmenko week at Canucks Army. Get used to it. Yeah. And good. we've got a lot of good stuff. A little plug right now. CanucksArmy.com. You've been writing a lot about Andre Kuzmenko, which is awesome. Uh, well, and let's you've get got some take on it because we might as well. Yeah, well, sure. We, we haven't had it on since I guess maybe just looking your projection for what you see Kuzmenko doing. Like we've, we've broken down his game in time. We've talked a lot about Kuzmenko in the past week on the show, but what are your kind of expectations just in general harm about Kuzmenko coming in? I see him having legitimate middle six upside for this team. And I, I'm all, I also really think that they internally believe he can be a key power play guy. And I think that's interesting for starters because I think it, it hints at what could be coming next in terms of what are some prominent power play pieces pieces that are you know currently on the mat, on the number one man advantage group. It's a Besser or it's a Miller, and it kind of foreshadows that okay, maybe one of those guys could be on the block, and, and that and and that they see Kuzmenko as a sort of piece that he's not going to replace them, but he if if they're talking about. If they're if they're planning for him to have a big opportunity there, then then something's probably up, which we've talked about a lot. But he at least brings another option to the first. Yes. Like, I see him being on the second year to start the year. Yeah, I think it, it's it gives you another option where it's like, do you want to use him? Do you want to use Tanner Pearson? Do you want to use Vasily Plotkolzin? Yeah. At least it's another option, and you have some options to see what works. 
hundred percent. And so the one thing that the one interesting thing that um, I can add, other than his game, which I'm sure you guys have already broken down a lot, is so I reached out to KHL executive who uh, who knows Kuzmenko decently well, and he one of the biggest things to sort of judge isn't just the talent it's the the character right because you think about the experience of coming over to north america for the first time you're coming to a new country you're being thrown into a new city new teammates new line mates um new style of play uh, new coaches you've, you've got a million things being thrown at you at once and you're playing in a league that's bigger, faster, stronger, more skilled than anything you've ever seen before. It's a lot for a person to kind of handle. And some people just aren't built for it, right? So you think about uh, Vegas back in the day, Vadim, Vadim, I'm not even going to say the guys. Chibashev? Yeah, I didn't even want to try pronouncing (laughs) that because I knew I was going to butcher it. But he went down there and he had his training camp, didn't do great and was up and down the NHL a couple times. Less than a month, he booked back to yep. KHL. Three had all the skill in the world, had all the talent, had all the ability. Some guys just, just aren't built for it. Whereas like the KHL in scoring last year. Right. And so with that in mind, it was interesting to kind of hear from this executive that I talked to who said, Kuzmenko may need some time in terms of adjusting to new circumstances and conditions. Um, it's just sort of the way that he's wired. It might take him some time, which again, we're, we're going to need to have patience. The organization I'm sure is going to have patience, but the one good thing about him is that work rate has never been an issue. Yeah, the work absolutely. ethic is really, really high on him and he's going to work like a dog on a bone. He he's, he's a very ambitious athlete is, is what I've been told. And that's a really good sign because again, he's going to have a million different things being thrown on his plate. And if you look at, for example, what Vasily Podkolzin went through, what helped him through the initial part of his rookie season, because it was a struggle. He was kind of in and out of the lineup, and he was struggling to earn uh, Travis Green's trust initially. Uh, it took him some time to really feel comfortable in the defensive zone. Part of the reason he was able to eventually find a stride in the second half was because he's such a good kid, yeah. and he's wired in, in the right way, and he's an excellent person. He's, he's a resilient guy. And so it's good at least to know that with Kuzmenko, he's got the work rate. He, he, he's built, I think, for that kind of adversity, even if it might take him some time to get going. Yeah, and I think Pod Colson's a big help there in the spot too. Yeah. I think that, you know, what we talked about in the last few episodes was like, ultimately the Canucks presented the best level of comfort. Yeah. For sure. The way that he's coming over here, like having good relationships with the organization. I think that's going to help him adjust as well because he definitely has... At least, like, the thing in the KHL is, like, you always have to give it, like, you have to think about players if they can make that same play with a half second less. And Kuzmenko looked like he could. Like, he everything in the KHL it looked like he could make the play and still have another half second that he's going to need when he comes over to the NHL. Um, so, I, yeah, we're excited to see, obviously, we can come in. I, I will be a little surprised if he gets onto that first unit, but you're right. Like, if they move a Besser, if they move a Miller, there is an opening there for him to get a chance anyways. It debuted on Friday, but I want to talk about this because you've got a series about realistic options for the Canucks at 15th overall. Debuted on Friday? 
Yeah, debuted today. Oh, geez. Which player did you do? Jonathan Leckerick McMackey. Okay, that's not a great start. And Harm, you can jump in here if you've seen any of these prospects as well. But go ahead, Quads. What do you want to know? Yeah, well, I'm going to run to the bathroom, but you've got a list here, and I just wanted to plug it that we're both going on vacation, but we have a lot of these in the pending review section of the Canucks Army WordPress. Uh, shout out Mike Gould, who's going to be covering for me while I'm away, uh, covering and working on Canucks Army as the managing editor. So if you have any complaints, message Mike Gould. But... You have the series going up. Realistic draft options for the Canucks at 15. Started on Friday with John, Jonathan Lekaramaki, right winger, who yeah, I'm guessing that was is, a bit better. is finished. That was good. Is no, he finished? Swedish. Swedish. Um, Damn it. Probably one of the best shots in the draft. I think he's on a lot of people's like top two. Uh, so you really like what Lekaramaki can do uh, offensively. I think even defensively, like him to play a full season in the SHL was good to see. Uh, and, and he's an option, I think, for a lot of people. He's kind of around that 10, 11, 12, 13 mark. I don't know if you've seen a lot of rankings about him harm too, uh, but he's a guy that might slide there to 15 and to get the best shot in the draft at 15 would be pretty good. I, I know the Canucks like him. I've had scouts from other teams sort of tip, tip me off that, hey, this is this is a guy that the Canucks um like but that was also thrown with the caveat that i don't think teams expect him to slide all the way to 15 true. I, i'll bring up another one who i know the canucks like as well from what i've heard uh speaking of talent evaluators it's pavel mitnikov uh the left shot d out of uh saginaw the spirit yeah uh which was with the worst team in the ohl in the in the western uh conference for sure i think the second worst team in the whole uh ohl but as a left-shot defenseman, he led the team in scoring over there. That's really impressive for a defenseman to do in his draft season in the OHL. And he is just a, an incredible puck mover, potentially has the highest. I, I, like, I would go out and say like he has a high, as high of a ceiling as the two right Ds at the top, at the top of the draft in Nemec and uh, Juracek. Like, Mitnikov just looks incredible, and he's playing on just a dog water team, like a team that's just not it's they struggle to get the puck out of their own zone when he's not on the ice. Like it was a really bad team to watch. Uh, I know that the Canucks are high on Minchikov. You got anything on the left either? Yeah. I mean, Russian, I have, who came over to the OHL. Yeah. It was interesting when, when we, when we kind of, uh, Drance and I did our polling, I don't think the reviews we got from the scouts that we talked to were quite as high on him, which was interesting. I think the, the scouts that, and these are scouts that I trust, right? Yeah. I'm not going to just talk to any any old NHL scout. Um, they seem to prefer Matichuk. Yeah. And, um, and and they sort of felt that he had the, the higher ceiling. Now, Minchikov, I think, has more two-way upside, probably. Um, he's a bigger body. And, but, I mean, he, he's, an op- he's an option there. I, I, I just didn't have... I don't, I don't think the reviews I got were quite as glowing as... as, um, as is what you kind of laid out there, and that's obviously the beauty of the draft. Is one team's going to look at look at this sort of guy and, and think that's a future top pair potential guy, and other teams are going to look at that look at that sort of player and think, is he already pretty physically developed, and then how much more is there to extract? So yeah, and Matichuk's another guy who like is showing up in team in rankings in the top ten, polarizing, which has been kind of impressing to see. Uh, but yeah, Mitnikov as well. Like he showed, I think he's elite prospects, like eighth best player in this draft. He's there for the Canucks at 15. To me, he is like the A plus for the Canucks. If they were able to draft this player out of this list of guys that we're going to go through, he's the A plus for me. I just, I think he moves the puck so well. And I think the film doesn't really tell even the full story because of how bad his teammates were. Like this guy can really move the puck. Um, another guy uh, that's 
we'll, we'll go back to the defense core, I guess, with Owen Pickering, who obviously joined us on this show. Friend of the show. Very much like Owen Pickering. Uh, great dude. Uh, as well as just being six foot five and being able to skate like the wind. Quarterback to Canada's power play at the U18s. Like, there's a lot to like. Very raw talent with this kid, but you can't teach someone how to become six foot five and skate like the way he does. So, well, that's the thing. I, I just, sorry, I actually have something on Owen Pickering because in the conversation we had with him, He's like, yeah, I modeled my game after Quinn Hughes, and then I had a growth spurt. Yeah. So he's like, I was the short kid. I was the small defenseman. I had to learn how to defense, defend like that. And, you know, his skating and everything was fantastic. And then all of a sudden, he hits a growth spurt, and he said his game hadn't really changed from when he grew to when he was small. It is shocking. And I spoke with somebody uh, who watches a lot of WHL hockey and does some prospect evaluating, and they were like, it's funny because uh, Moose Jaw, I believe, is where he plays. And... Uh, the camera is so low at, at his home ring. Like watching the tape, he just looks like this giant, like skating through the ice because the camera is incredibly low. <laughs> I like uh, him. So his six foot five frame sticks out. I don't know if he's the best option at fifteen. The Canucks would have to really be sold on him uh, for him to be an option. I, I think they like. I think that Mitnikov is going to be a better pick there. But I think if you're if you're looking to trade down at all, like maybe get into the. 22 range and you're wanting to swap with like Anaheim or something and pick up the 55th to add on to that like that's an option for Pickering there and I think you're feeling really good about getting Owen Pickering at like 22 I agree I like him a lot as a potential trade down option yeah um, another guy that I think might be a potential trade down option is left winger uh, Liam Ugren uh, who is the left winger out of the Swedish J20 League. He played in like 26 SHL games, but he didn't uh, really look like the score that he was in the J20 Leagues where he scored at a ridiculous rate, 1.93 points per game when he was playing in that J20 League. Uh, I think just like quickly like clipping the video for him was so easy because there was like three games in a row uh, that I clipped where he had hat tricks. And I was like, oh, this is incredibly easy to clip goals from. Uh, he just looks incredible at... Um, He's, he's like 207 pounds. Like he's a big body, six foot one, uh, goes to the net really hard and like just has all the, like all that you like from like the Swedish skill of how they handle pucks and make passes. You really like that. But then he has this somewhat of like a power forward feel to him. Uh, I know Cam Robinson's super high on Liam Ogren as well. I think he had him uh, as one of the better shots in the draft. And I could see why, because like his shot isn't, it doesn't just like pop off the screen, but it's really interesting to see how, no matter where the puck is and no matter how the puck gets to him, he's consistent at getting like a really, I wouldn't say like the strongest shot in the draft, but he's really consistent at getting good wood on every shot that he takes. And that's really impressive to see from a guy who already shows a lot of initiative to drive to the net hard and do that kind of way of going, going to the net and getting to the crease real tough. So like, I like him, but I think he might be, uh, Liam Ogren, that is, might be kind of an option for the Canucks if they want to trade down. But I actually they could go for him at 15, and it wouldn't be that much of a stretch. A lot of people have been talking about him as a potential trade down. I don't know. I, I know in the public that he's kind of rated in the 20s. I don't know if he's actually going to be available in the 20s. Yeah, he's... So I mean, if, the Canucks, him, if the Canucks want him, if the Canucks want him, they may have to... Like, uh, Let me put it this way. If you're trading down to the 20s, even if it's the early 20s, with the idea that you're hoping he's available there, it's not a guarantee. Right. Yeah, you would have to have a couple names that you really like yeah. to move out of that spot if, if these guys are all gone anyways. Um, a similar player, but out of Russia, Danila Yurov is a really interesting one. He's kind of a top five uh, consensus pick going in to this, this past year, but... I think the Russian factor drops him down quite a bit. There's a lot to like about Yurov. Like defensively, he might be the best two-way forward in this draft. I, I really like the way that he skates, the way that he defends, the way that 
he is a winger, but you love to see it when a winger is able to kind of notice scoring chances that are developing against you in your own zone and like get a stick on it. Even if he's not like fully cutting off the pass, just you see a scoring chance coming and he's able to just get a stick in on the guy's stick. So it's not a clean shot at five on five. Like Yurov does all of those things in the defensive zone that you really like. He's got one more year in the uh, KHL than I expect him to come over to North America. So a guy that you're probably going to see pretty quick. I just, the tape looks great on him. He looks like he can defend uh, at the KHL level and just, Really like what Yurov was able to do. I don't know if you guys have watched the Russian very much. Probably, probably not. I, well, I've heard people sort of compared him a little bit to Vasily Podkolzin in yes. terms of the all-around style and the the strong physical attributes. But I would be very surprised if the Canucks took a Russian with their first round pick. Yeah, it's it's a little bit of a risk there, and I think that's what the Canucks might want to stay away from. So this last name is maybe one that uh, we might not even have to mention, but I think we have to mention because he's. Probably the best skater in the whole draft, but there's a lot of question marks in Brad Lambert's game who plays center, probably going to translate to becoming a winger. It's just, I I don't, like, if he's there at 15, he has such high-end talent that you almost, like, have to pick him at 15, but there's a a lot of worries. There's a lot of red flags about Brad Lambert, and obviously people have kind of heard this, so it's kind of just like a broken record talking about it, but... When you're actually watching the tape and you're seeing what he's able to do when he's like picking up the puck from his own blue line and he gets a stride, like he is electric. Like he's one of the best at zone entries that I saw in this draft. And he was doing that in the Finnish Liga, which is, you know, no slack league. This is much better than, you know, where Liam Ungram was playing in the J20 League in Sweden. Brad Lambert looks like one of the better players in the Finnish Liga when he's gaining the zone and having good zone entries. But there's such a worry about, like, once he gets into the zone, it's like he. It, it worries me in the same way of like Jake for Tannen, where it's like, he wouldn't put his head down, go towards the net. He wouldn't be able to use players on two on ones. He would kind of, if he was coming in on the right side, he would take a perimeter shot that sometimes beat the goaltender oftentimes didn't. And then if he was on his backhand side on the left side, coming down the wing, he would just kind of like get a little bit close to the defender and then always just go to the backhand and hope that he could roof it over the goaltender's shoulder. And it didn't work. Like it just, it simply didn't work, but you watch him skate and you just watch him, even four check, like it's not, it's not so much like worry about his effort level. It's just so much about his decision making. Where you're like, man, you have to do better. Like you just watch him play, and you're like, if you did better on just like thinking the game and really generating and working for offense instead of just relying on your skill, this guy's a top five talent. But I think the question mark is just, is that what he's going to be, or is he going to be a guy who just puts up a decent amount of points in Finland when he becomes like a full grown adult? Like the skill is unbelievable. I. I I do think that he is the best, like, when he's in full stride. I think he's the best skater for full-out speed. I also think he's probably the most agile player in this draft as well. And just the things that he does when he picks up the puck in his own zone and gets a couple strides on him, he flies by people in the Finnish Liga. So there's so much to like about Lambert, but he might... Like, that's the thing. It's like, he's a risk in the top 10, for sure. He's a total risk to get to draft in the top 10. At 15, you're like, man, maybe the risk is worth it. Like, he's got a very low floor, but his ceiling might be, like, his ceiling might be higher than, like, Shane Wright. If he were to really hit everything, like, if Brad Lambert were to just figure out how to be able to live up to his expectation, he could be the most skilled player in this draft. With the Like, the traits that he has are incredible. Polarizing player is yeah. is kind of what, is kind of the sense that uh, you get when you sort of pull people in the industry where... Some 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 people are really worried about the decision making and 
and and they just don't see um it's the all the it's the classic uh what do people say about having all the tools but no toolkit yeah um that's that's the impression some get whereas others think that here's a guy who has just been under the microscope for too long in terms of people had expectations about him as a potential number one. Um, he, he was he was expected, for instance, like a year, year and a half ago to be a contender for the number one overall pick. Yeah, no, he he put up more points as a yeah. 16-year-old than he does as a 17-year-old. And so, of course, he stagnated. And, and, and there is also a tendency where the longer you kind of watch a guy and, and have all this heightened expectation that their game does, details get picked apart and... and um, kind of what happened to Aturati, right? Uh, pretty similar when he slid, uh, pretty significantly, and I think he's a good, great find considering where the Islanders got him. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I do. I, he's one of the biggest wild cards for me in the first round of where exactly is, is a team going to take him because I genuinely don't know. I think at fifteen, you can you can consider the risk. Like if you think the about other guys it. that you really like are off the board. Either that or you look at a team like this is a really good trade down opportunity where it's like, oh, hey, you don't have to trade up to 10 anymore to get Brad Lambert. You can trade up to 15 with the Canucks and get him. Like, I think that's really right. going to be interesting if he's sitting there. I also think the same thing with Lekar Mackey. If he slides to 15, like you're in a really good spot for the Canucks where you can take him or you can trade away from him. But um, with Lambert, though, it's it's so tough because it's like even with some of these players, like you look at them and some some scouts really love them. The thing about Lambert is like nobody really loves him. You just love the the things that he does well, but when you watch him and you watch him as a whole, nobody loves his his whole total package. They love what the skills that he has and the traits that he has and the physical ability that he has, but nobody's in love with the player as a whole. And I think that's something that's not helping him at all in this draft and it is going to be a big reason why he slides out of the top 10. They I think they love the idea of what he could become. Yes. More than they love what he is and and see the realistic path forward and, and yeah, he's a definite sort of work in progress. And somebody's going to like him cuz like he moved around multiple teams in the Finnish league this year, didn't really find success anywhere. Like let's not forget he's a 17-year-old kid who is moving around Finland playing hockey as a pro gets traded at halfway point. There's some questions about him off the ice, uh, just kind of like dealing with teammates. And you can kind of, I don't want to say like see the red flags. You can just see that he doesn't use his teammates well. And I think that might be a little bit of a problem in its own right. But we've heard some whispers of other things. Like I, I don't know, at 15, I think you need to have the conversation. But to me, he's too risky for a top 10 pick for sure. When a lot of these other guys, like I wouldn't say Pickering's in the top 10 conversation, but you can have a legitimate conversation about Lech Karamaki, uh, or Yurov, or even Mitnikov as guys that could be top 10 picks. I just don't think you have that. With- I'd be surprised if, if he's a top 10 pick, Lambert. Yeah, especially especially too. with like Marco Casper rising yes. and all the talk around Cutter Goche all of a sudden sort of rising in a lot of people's, on a lot of people's radars. I... Uh, and and D always there's always a Moritz Satter type defenseman who where you just see that surprise. Yeah, it could be Leon Bichel, it could be Owen Pickering. Right yeah, now. look at both those guys as a Moritz Satter, uh, or thing. even a Minchikov really early, yep. really early. So yeah, I, I I would I wouldn't be surprised if Lambert slid. Yeah, yeah, I I've heard again like you have more conversations than I do, Chris. But from every conversation I've had, it's Owen Pickering is somebody that is getting a lot like similar to his interview with us. He's somebody that really benefited from the combine and people seeing him in person Dude, and you just, from the you, interview process. If you go back and you like watch the tape, like I just watched all of his uh, U18 games and you just hear the way that Craig Button talks about him. like Craig Button's in love with Owen Pickering. He loves Owen Pickering and like, like just going through the tournament, it was funny to like 
It was just watch. It was like a love story. It was watching Craig Button and Owen Pickering come together and find this love of each other. I feel like Craig Button's going to have it like number two on his list pretty damn <laughs> soon here by the end of the season because like he was just floored. And Pickering's playing like for Canada in big important games. He's playing 26, 28 minutes a night. Like he was doing everything. So I think that Pickering might be the guy that like isn't the worst. It doesn't it wouldn't surprise me at 15 that much for the Canucks. Yeah, fair enough. Okay, anything to add? We nope. all good? This was an hour and 20 minutes. It might be the longest episode where we haven't had a guest on the show. Might be the longest. Harm's sitting right here. I Harm just isn't a guest. The, he's a co-host. Sent him the e-transfer already. I know. He's our, he's our co-host. Got your bank Got uh, bank for your buck. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah, Stretch it out here. Famous straight rate. Harm going to stay for an extra three hours and just talk, <laughs> talk to himself. Okay. For my co-hosts. Well, no, quickly. We're going on vacation. Mentioned it already. Yeah, but let's let's wrap it up. Tell people I'm going. Well, you don't want to tell anyone. You're not posting pictures. I, I don't post my location. You're going to dark. You're going to Balzac to get some Costco dogs. I'm going uh, to New Brunswick, Nova Scotia, PEI. Never been, I've never been uh, further east than Saskatchewan. So uh, I'm excited to uh, check out these little provinces. Also never had lobster before, so I'm going to have lobster for the first time. Because, you know, grow up, not a rich kid growing up here. I wasn't eating lobster every night. Like Quad's over here. He's I've never for, had lobster like in my life. Lobster cannoli or whatever he's having. In. No, I've literally never eaten I lobster. I haven't either. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, Maybe I'm that'll be a it. Patreon episode. Faber will buy us a uh, lobster. Uh, no, Harm's <laughs> buying lobster. Oh, yeah, Harm's buying, <laughs> buying lobster. Excuse me. Do that. And then, uh, yeah, so 10 days over in those little provinces over there. The Maritimes, I call it, I think. Uh, yeah, something like that. Newfoundland, something. I don't know. Uh, and then go straight <laughs> over to Montreal after that. Seven days. We got the draft. Uh, Harm. awesome. We'll see you there, Harm. Yep. Harm's buying drinks because he's got all this CC money from DoorDash. He's going to be DoorDashing things to his room. So that'll Use be nice. Use promo code Harmon. Yeah. <laughs> That's what we're going to get here pretty soon. Um, yeah, I'll say it. I'm going to a Soyuz. Same amount of time as you. Work on that tan yours. Well, uh, yeah, of course. I'll be I'll be away from uh, the Sunday through to July 2nd. I'll be back on July 3rd. So like you guys said, draft week is super busy. I'll be back on July 3rd. It'll be a busy week. That's what I'm saying. Why are you running my prospect articles on Friday? I'm, got, I'm still here. Yeah. I, don't I know. gave we you didn't another article. Th- you ran the, the Kuzmenko one. Yeah. And I, I ran it, it yesterday. We didn't have enough stuff. How do you think up. I got I'm not going to get into how Canucks Army's run. <laughs> Let me run the site. You just keep writing. Okay. Uh, you put the freaking horse blinders <laughs> on me and tell you to carry the whole thing. <laughs> All right. We'll close it out there. For my co-host, Chris Faber, and of course, Harmon Dial, my name is David. We're Kudrali. taking a week off. Tell You didn't say that, did you? Yeah, I did. No, I said we're going on vacation. Didn't yeah, let, I let said know. we're getting a bonus episode Put your on Italian Wednesday. hands down. We're going, we won't, well, we got the bonus episode <laughs> on Wednesday. Nothing on Saturday. We'll be back for the midweek. I'll be live from Montreal. Quads will be, uh, I don't know, probably from his, like, you're not coming in here to the studio, are you? Probably. Okay. Well, well, yeah. Well, I guess we'll we'll, we'll it see. Out. It's going to be a remote episode while I'm in Montreal. Maybe yeah. I'll bring Harm in there with me too. Yeah, I might yeah. sneak him in there. I'll this just ep- do stand ups with Harm. Those are cheese. Yeah, you could do <laughs> those. I think a podcast hit costs a lot. We tell Harm <laughs> when he gets on TV. Well, I know what the rate is for that. <laughs> oh my god. Well, I think as a side note, I think this episode has to have hit the. Um, hit a record for number of Faber interruptions. Oh Maybe. my gosh. No kidding. Tell me about it. I, I mean, I don't blame him for some of them. This yeah, guy's, this you. guy's getting out of control. You, you know it, you know it. I thought you were going to say Balzac mentions. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's beating the record for that too. Balzac's per 60. <laughs> 
See if we that would be a good. All right, do your thing, Quad. I'm done. I'll. Uh, Are you sure? Yeah, because uh, our buddy uh, is it Greg? He's always saying you're not letting me talk all the time on the podcast. Yeah, I give you plenty of time I'm to just talk. Take, I got this energy drink from the states. Is Warhead flavored sour watermelon energy drink? I'm all buzzed up now. Now I gotta go write stupid articles because you're running my prospect articles too damn early. You're not gonna go write three more. Yeah, get it done. I haven't packed yet. I leave in twelve hours. Yeah, that's the tough situation for you. Okay, let's get out of here then. I'm going to go hit the links again. <laughs> Work on my 10. Yeah, that All sounds right. about right. For my co-host, Chris Faber, and of course, Harmon Dial, my name is David Quadrelli. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Canucks Conversation. Thanks for listening to Canucks Conversation. Delivered by DoorDash. Hit the subscribe button to never miss an episode. How about keep it to a thank you, Jim? Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.